0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for this message from the 2020 series. But the 2020 series is much more than just a collection of messages. It's a faith step for us as a church. As we end one year and begin a whole brand new decade, stepping out in faith with an offering for vision, for expansion, and to see God do more through the Fresh Life House. But that's not only those who attend in person at our 13 locations, that also includes you who join online as a part of our family digitally from all 50 states and 156 countries, you're joining in and we're so thankful and amazed. It really is incredible and we're grateful that every single week you're able to be blessed by these messages. Now we'd like to call upon you personally to be a part of extending the reach of our church and reaching more people. Would you consider a one-time offering or maybe even setting up recurring giving and being a part on a drip by drip basis and being a part of all that God is doing here at Fresh Life? We hope that you will join us and stand with us as we try and reach more people with the gospel and see people touched with the love of God. Thank you so much for considering that. You can do it at freshlife.church. Now enjoy this message from God's word. I've been working on my, you know, you know, what do they call it? When you're doctor, it's bedside manner, right? I'm, I'm working on my pastor-side manner, you know, it's just, I'm getting older now, you know, when I was young, I had all these real like edgy sermon titles, you know, real, real macabre a lot of times, you know, and so I'm trying to, you know, especially around the holidays, I know you're bringing guests, so I'm trying to warm it up a little bit, so the title of my message from this uh, passage of scripture is um, Over My Dead Body, and um, <laughs> it says in verse 10 of Genesis 28, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants, and your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. In you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that place, that city, had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and keep me, and I read in many commentaries that that if would be better understood as sense, as he was speaking in the rhetorical manner of the day. So you could say, Sense God will be with me, because that's what he just promised, and keep me in this way that I'm going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Over my dead body was exactly what Esau said to himself when he heard what Jacob thought he was going to get away with. You see, Jacob had been a born manipulator, manipulating outcomes since even before his birth. Matter of fact, he and his twin brother uh, were on their way out of the birthing canal. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) And the Bible tells us that Jacob actually grabbed Esau's heel, his brother's heel, and tried to prevent Esau from being born first. He was, anybody have a brother like that? (laughs) Like, like even, even in the womb, right? You, you see in that day, birth order was significant uh, in that it revealed the amount of inheritance you were going to receive if you were the firstborn, you were sort of the priest of the home of the family, uh, you would receive a double portion of, of dad's will, and uh, you had a leadership role and a spiritual responsibility to steward that as well so it seems even even from before they were it, it had even taken a breath of air with their with their lungs uh, here, here's here 's Jacob trying to Pull back Esau and get from Esau what he deemed as his rightful place in the family. And that was just a picture of coming struggles. For every day of their lives in the home, Jacob made things miserable for Esau. Because where he was no match for Esau's strength, uh, Esau was no match for Jacob's cunning. Jacob was just sneakier and smarter, where, you know, Esau had brute force on his side. Even from when he was born, uh, his name Esau means red or hairy. You could you could translate it either way, red or hairy. He was a hairy guy with red red skin, right? So he was kind of dwarfish, but with a Chewbacca vibe, right? That's that's the whole, that's the Esau picture. And uh, so 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 Jacob was a smooth-skinned man. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says he was a smooth-skinned man. He shaved his legs, right? Uh, he was very European. Uh, he he was a man who liked to stay in the tents. He was a man who liked to cook, and and we literally find him. Uh, the Bible says uh, hanging out with his mother Moor, where Esau hung out with his father. Isaac was very proud of Esau because he could take him hunting. He could he could show him off to the look 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 at look at Esau do it do your thing. And he picks up the truck, you know, and just he's impressing all of <laughs> Isaac's friends and. And, and and Rebecca got along much better with Jacob because he was always indoors. He was always on the Xbox. He 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 was surfing the web. You know, so basically there was as different as ever could be. Uh, but Jacob used his intelligence uh, to to his benefit when he one day caught Esau hungry and uh, Esau was famished. You know, and when you're when you're hungry, you, you, you make bad decisions, which is why you should never go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. Right? You will you will you, that's just a bad decision waiting to happen, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, Esau's hungry, and Jacob's got the soup he had just made. He's excited about it, and he's got, you know, got the Chef Boyardee hat on. And, and, uh, and Esau, Esau says, give me some of that soup. It literally, if you translate the Hebrew into the English, he says, I want to swallow that. <laughs> It's like, how uncivilized. This is what Esau, uh, to, to, to Jacob, that's what Esau was. It was a cartoon in his mind of a T-Rex going, ah, 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 ah. Mindless beast. You want to swallow that. You won't even taste the, the 15 different spices I put in this soup. You'll just, you just choke it down. Then he's like, wait a minute. How hungry are you? Were you? Are you hungry enough to let me go first in the birth order? And Esau goes, what is, what is a birth order good for me if I'm dying here of hunger? Right? Now, he wasn't dying. I mean, Isn't it funny how, how, how when we're run down, when we're thirsty, when we're hungry, just everything seems different? And some far-off potential blessing does not seem as important to us as in the moment, temporary pleasure? Let me tell you something. This is why you've got to read your Bible before you run out into that world. This is why you got to make sure you're in church and make sure you're, you're filling your heart up on worship. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to be thirsty and run down. And the temporary pleasure of this world is going to seem far more appealing to you. If, if you're looking for a guy to give you validation, you should have got that morning from Jesus. You're, you're always going to make bad decisions. So Esau is short-sighted and he trades what's eternal for what's temporary. He trades what's powerful and, and, and long-lasting for what's fleeting and what will only feel good for a moment. He says, yeah, you can have my birthright. Just give me the soup. And so the Bible says he took the soup and ate it and, and went away angry at his brother. And for the rest of uh, his, 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 his life, he was always, Jacob, just scheming at ways just to, to continue to, to seal that deal, you know. And, uh, and it came to a head when Isaac was on his deathbed. Their father was about to die. And he called for Esau. Even though Jacob had gotten Esau to promise the blessing, only Isaac could confer the blessing. And he knew it was going to go to the, the son that was born first. And so. He calls for Esau and says, hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this blessing. There was many facets to the firstborn. And this was going to now confer his hands upon him. And fathers, never forget, there's a power in your hands to bless your children. There's a power in your hands to speak life over your children. When you're you're putting them to bed, I'm telling you, put your hand on their heads and bless them. Say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. You have power to speak life and to speak blessing. Don't get to the end of your life and, and have had all that power pent up in your hands, but never use it. Use that power to bless your wife. Use that power, man, to bless your, your children. There's a, there's, a, there's a sense in which God has uniquely qualified your hands to confer blessing. Yeah. Isaac says, come on in here. Yeah, write that down, Chris, right? And, 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 and he just had a baby. Come on. So let's thank God for Chris and Allie, the baby. Chris wasn't taking notes, so I, I pointed that out. Uh, so, so, so Isaac says, I'm going to bless you, Esau. Get on. He's taking notes. I'm just kidding. I'm he just... He's, He's just getting it on his iPhone. I couldn't see it because it was small. I was looking for a pen and paper. All right, So that's just primitive and old school, right? Um, so, but you know the battery's on. My pen and paper can never die. All right, so, so, so <laughs> what are you even talking about? So Isaac says, I'm going to bless you. What, is, what am I doing with my hands now, right? It's like a karate kid thing. I'm going to bless you, it's like an ostrich, all right? So, but he says, go get me some of that food that I liked. And so Esau grabs his bow to go out into the field. It was bow season in the Bible. And he was going to take down some some venison and make the the, the real good steaks like like Isaac liked it. And, And anyhow, while he was out hunting, Rebecca, the mom who had heard all this going on, who liked Jacob, better. She says, "Hey, quick! I got an idea. I got some venison steaks in the freezer. Your father will never know. Let's just make some quick soup while he's out field dressing the animal and you know, smearing elk urine on his head to, to throw off his scent of his stinkiness. You know, I'll, I'll just cook this up real quick. You bring it in." And Jacob says, "That'll never work." I'm a smooth-skinned man. When he puts his hand on me to bless me, he's never, he's never going gonna to know it's me because he's going to smell me. He's going to feel me and feel the smooth skin. He's not going to know it's not Esau, which, 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 which Rebecca has a plan for that too. She goes, look, I have all this extra scraps from the last time Esau killed a deer. We will grab all of the, which tells you how hairy he was. She tied, she tied the skins to Jacob's arms, and it worked. He's, he felt him, and he goes, oh, that's Esau. It's like, what, what unnatural amount of body hair are we talking about here? I'm horrified just thinking about his shower drain. All right, so... So she does this, and then right at the last second, he goes, no, I, I'm not, I don't smell like him. You know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing this you know, you know, Armani cologne that I got at Nordstrom, so that's So they rub a bunch of dirt on him right before he goes in. And when, when, when Isaac smells and touches him, he's like, that's my boy right there. I love that. I don't Esau anywhere, you know? And <laughs> spits in this spittoon, and then Esau comes in. Esau comes in, and he confers the blessing on him. And, and now now Isaac. Isaac has done something he can't undo because there's a power in words that can't be unspoken. When Esau figures out that now these two times, he's taken two aspects of the blessing, both the financial side of it, it would seem, from what Esau contractually had given over, but now also Jacob has gotten the father to confer this spiritual aspect to the being firstborn. He, all the way from the womb, Esau hears of this, and he, he begs his dad, please bless me too. And he goes, look, I, I can't undo what I did. So Jacob's going to be blessed. And he's going to have a blessing over you. There's going to be a blessing over you for the rest of his his life. But I'll, I'll pray for you too. You You know, I just can't give you the same blessing because I can't undo it. So uh, Esau receives that prayer and then pretty much decides, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And not metaphorically, literally, Jacob's going to receive this blessing, listen to me, over my dead body. And yeah, Jacob, in the night in the Desert and the angels dancing on the ladder. That's beautiful. That's inspiring. And heck, it even feels Christmassy. We'll use it for our Christmas text because it is Christmassy, by the way. This, this is an image that he got ahead of time into the Christmas story angels ascending and descending. Sure sounds a lot like what happens when over Bethlehem the sky rolls back and angels are seen, and glory to God in the highest peace on earth, goodwill toward men on whom his favor rests. And, and, and yes, this, this is. Christmas. But it all played out under the shadow of a death threat. And Jacob is a man on the run because his mom heard Esau scheming. He rushed out into the night. He's desperate. Listen to me. He's alienated himself from everybody in his life. He's deceived his father. He's been enabled by his mother, who he'll never see alive again, by the way. And Isaac somehow rallies from the sickness with which he was going to die. And he's, he's alive when, when, when Jacob gets back, but not his, not his mother. Uh, and of course, Esau. Things aren't so good between the two bros, right? They, they, they've, had better, they've had better days. So now here he is alone. He's going to go live with his, his, his uncle Laban. Who, who is still 440 miles away. He's gone some 60 miles, some 40 to 60 miles, but he's got like 400 more miles to go on his journey. He's not suited for life in the wilderness. He has zero survival skills. As evidence number one, I present to you the pillow he chose, which was a rock. <laughs> the worst choice of a pillow in the history of camping. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and so we see this guy, and, and we can't help but feel sorry for himself, for the rock well represents his current state. This man is at rock bottom. He has no one. He has nothing. And precisely at that moment, we see the God who will stop at nothing to reach someone who has nothing to offer. He he encounters God smack dab in the middle of nowhere, smack dab in the middle of his worst moment, his lowest moment. God shows up. God meets him. God has grace for him. And four quick things I want you to understand. This powerful story teaches us for a man who came to a place in his life where someone literally blood-related to him was going to stop at nothing to kill him. We learn this. We learn God is always with you. This is, this is what this story teaches us. And this was the big takeaway truth for Jacob. God is always with you. you. You see, Matthew Henry put it this way, whom God loves, he never leaves. And you are loved by God. Jacob thought he was alone. Why? Because he hadn't brought any gods with him. And that day, there was the snare of the people around them that they perpetually assembled these other little gods, these trinkets, these little things. And he would learn that from Laban, who kept household gods. But it was commonly taught, commonly believed in that day, when you left your home, you left your gods there. So anytime you were in between uh, structures, in between buildings with little gods in them, you were outside of their protection. There was a loophole in the divine insurance policy. You had no, uh, no one looking after you. And yet God showed to Jacob here in this desolate, barren wilderness, I'm with you wherever you go. And I want you to understand that as well. He's not more with you when you're doing well than he is when you're doing badly. Have you read your Bible every day this week? Have you brushed your teeth morning, noon, and night? Have you, have you been taking your spiritual vitamins and flexing your theological muscles? Great. That's, there's many benefits to all of those things. Have you had the worst spiritual week? Have you screamed at your kids relentlessly? Have you, have you been an unkind wife? Were you shirking responsibilities at work? Let me tell you something. God is no less with you. He is with you when you're sleeping. He's with you when you wake. Come on, he's with you when you're naughty. He's with you when you're nice. What I'm trying to say is his presence is not based on your performance. And I think to the extent that we carry into our relationship with God this, what have you done for me lately? And that's what we always hear him saying. And we're going to feel good when we're doing good. We're going to feel bad when we're doing bad. And we're, we're going we're to forget entirely that he just cares about us. He just wants to be with us. He just wants us to know him. And that's what God wanted him to see. You were with me the whole time. You were here with me. And I knew it not. I was wondering. Early this morning, when the sun still hadn't come up, I was looking at the moon, and, and I was thinking about how it's the same moon. When I was looking up at the dark sky early this morning, it was the same moon that Jacob looked at. Things change on this planet, but nothing changes about what it looks, to look like, what it looks like to look up into a dark sky. Wow. And I was looking up at that full moon. There were still some stars visible. There was no sign of, of sunrise on the horizon. And I just looked up, and I tried to imagine lying there on the desert floor thinking of the scorpions and fearful about snakes and hearing the distant howl of a coyote. And what was Jacob thinking when he saw the last little traces of the sun disappearing on the horizon? And now it was dark. How cold did he feel? Because the desert can get real hot, and then all of a sudden be real cold, especially especially for a smooth-skinned man without a sleeping bag. You know what I'm saying? He didn't have the insulation that Esau had sleeping in the field. If I only had brought my, my Esau skins with me, he's thinking to himself. But just really, just thinking through his remorse, thinking through, you know, just feeling like I'm all alone, but I have no one to blame but me. I've pushed everyone away. I've been scheming. You know, we can with clarity realize why, why did I do that? Why do I have to always be the one trying to grab hold of the heel? Why, why can't I just be the one who grabs the feet to wash him like Jesus? You know, there's, there's just so much more blessing that comes for, for having the, the mentality, I'm going to grab your feet to wash and then, then grab your heel to get something from you. And he sat there I- isolated and alienated and, and he had pushed everybody away. But, but he, here, the one person who could actually do something for him wasn't scared of him and was coming for him anyway and is always with you. And I just want to let you know, no matter if, if today you feel like you've, you've alienated people and you've, you've, you're, you've ended up in a little bit of a prison of your own making or a, or, or a prison that, that man has made or whatever the case is, I'm telling you something, God is with you. God, God will not be stopped from pursuing you and chasing you down and loving There's nowhere you can go where he isn't and he wants to spend time with you. Now, that's what theologians refer to as his omnipresence. The omnipresence of God means that there's nowhere where he is, and he is everywhere equally at all times. But here's what's also true. There's something in the Bible that's taught again and again and again, and it's called the manifest presence. And the manifest presence is what happens when you recognize God's omnipresence. You see, God was with Jacob as he fell asleep, shivering alone and fearful and guilty and mad and sad and and blaming his brother and blaming his mom, and I wish this hadn't happened, and life was this way, and it wasn't just, and it wasn't fair, and blah, 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 all the things right, that we say to ourselves when we're trying to fall asleep, feeling bad and feeling crummy and, and, and having buyer's remorse over the day that we just lived. But once he recognized God's omnipresence, and it became a thing that he said, aha, I see you that you're there. God was with me, and I knew it not. Now God's presence was manifest. And the difference is contained in this distinction. God, who is always there, desires to come near. And how a God who is everywhere can come any nearer, that is beyond my understanding and, quite frankly, above my pay grade. But there is a fact that when you spot his presence and you say, I believe you're here, you're in this service, you're in this church, you're in my heart, you're working in my life. God, you were here the whole time. You've never left. God, I love you. I dedicate my life. When you spot his omnipresence, that's when he can manifest his presence. The God who's always there longs to come Near. God's always with you, that's number one. Number two is this, God wants to have relationship with you. That's always what he's wanted. You know, I think people get so hung up on religion. And when we invite people to church and talk to people about our faith, one of the biggest hurdles we have to get past is the religious barrier. That for many people, religion is a lot of things that is unnecessary baggage, perhaps, that needs to be jettisoned from what is this, the pure and simple heart. And that is God wanting to have a relationship with you. And yes, all of the, all of the things uh, that, 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 that would be thrown up as objections are valid and real, and there's a time and a place to talk about all of those things. But at the end of the day, here's what's true. God can be known. And he can be known through his son, Jesus Christ. And through a relationship with God, anybody who's done anything, who lives lives anywhere, can have their life radically changed and filled with peace, hope, forgiveness, and purpose. That's what's true. And you see Jacob. Living for himself, live, trying to steal, and i got to make my own way in this world, just grasping. Just, you just feel bad for him. He, he'd be a social media follow that you would cringe every time you'd see his post. Because you'd be like, yeah, bro, for sure, OK. All right, you're awesome. You'd see Jacob just, just completely self-motivated, self-obsessed, needing to take every you're, You just would look at it and be like, ah, ah, ah. Even if you get it, we, we don't care. Unfollow as quick as I can. But then you see Jacob meet God. Now it's different. Now he's pouring his life out instead of trying to save his life up. Now he's, I'm going to build something for God. And for sure, he's not done. He's a work in process, aren't we all, right? He's on a journey, but he's begun a journey. And that journey started when he came to the end of himself. When you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God, and you become to the beginning of joy. You become, you come to the beginning of true life. And now he's, he's, he's a different person. Why? Because he has a relationship with God. From this moment forward, we see a different side of Jacob. We see bright lights. We see, we see moments of progress. We see. I mean, he 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 meets a wife just in a couple of verses, right? We joked last week. He began tithing, met a wife in the next chapter. So I mean, just you know, throwing that out there. But. But, but, the, but the beautiful thing is a relationship with God will change every other relationship in your life. It's true. You know, I, I think the best marriage advice I ever got was someone told me you'll never be right with your mate until you're right with your maker. And really, the marriage issue gets solved when you truly let God heal the parts of you that are broken and hurting. And it changes, if you let it, how you approach parenting, how you approach being a sibling, how you approach being a friend. And from this moment forward, it will never just be the God of Isaac, his father, the God of Abraham, his grandfather. Now he becomes the God of Jacob too. And this is the first personal encounter that Jacob has had with God. But it won't be the last. And for the, for the rest of his life, it will be this beautiful thread of his relationship with God. So I, I wanted to ask you this question. How's your relationship with God going? Not your religious duty, not your Christian report card, right? Just your relationship with God. H- how is your friendship with Jesus? Are you spending time with him, uh, right? We, we make time for what's important. And this isn't guilt trip. This is just encouragement. Let's, 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 let's work on our relationship with him. Let's give it the ingredients for it to grow. Growing a flower is pretty easy, right? I mean, water and soil and blah, 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 right? Relationship with God is friendship. Let's give the space for our relationships with God to flourish so we can be strong. Number three, God's not afraid of what's behind you. I love this, this passage. It's God seeking Jacob out when he has nothing he can do for God. We said that before. But I think what we tend to do is we tend to in our mind to go, well, that's cool that God, you know, is willing to work with Jacob in spite of his weaknesses. And that's, no, that's, that's too, too, too anemic. I, th- I would say it this way. God's seeking out Jacob because of his weaknesses. God's seeking him out because of his emptiness. He's seeking him out because of his brokenness. So the parts of your heart, the parts of your story that you don't want anyone to know about, the things in your life that you struggle with, the things in your life that you've, the things you've been through, you would say, like, I hope, I think maybe God could work in my life in spite of these things. And I would say to you, he wants to work in your life because of those things. Those are the exact places, the exact parts of your heart. He wants to overwhelm with his grace and cause them to be a testimony to his goodness. He's going to work in those things. He's not afraid. Listen to me. He's not afraid of what's behind you. He's not afraid of that. And Jacob redeemed all those those clever scheming. Those will be used for his good. Those will be used for his glory. Think about an unbroken horse, how dangerous that thing is. But you break that horse, you get the bit, you get the bit in those teeth, then something can really be done. So all of those parts of you that you know offend people and alienate, all those parts of you that get you into trouble, those same things redeemed by the Holy Spirit, I just want you to believe going into 2020, those same things under the power of the Holy Spirit are gonna make you a threat to the kingdom of darkness and cause you to be used powerfully in God's hand. You just gotta take that bit in your teeth. You just gotta be willing to be broken by God in the right ways. And I love that for the rest of Jacob's life, we see God willing to identify, not just as Jacob's new name of Israel, but he calls him the God of Jacob too. He calls himself the God of Jacob. Jacob represents sort of this man pre-God because eventually God changes his name to reflect the, the newness of his nature. Oftentimes God changes a person and then gives him a new name. And, 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 and later on in, in the years to come, God will not just say to people like Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's willing to say, I'm the God of Jacob too. He's willing to be the God of your brokenness as well. All right, Uh, so he's not afraid of what's behind you. And then we're going to end with this. God also has a plan for you. This passage teaches us God has a plan for you. But what is it going to take from you to walk in that plan? That plan is going to be accessed as you are willing to be comfortably uncomfortable. Comfortably uncomfortable. What what do I mean by that? I mean this. God helped Jacob turn his pillow into a pillar. What represents comfort more than a pillow? I love my pillow. Uh, my pillow, I, I have the same order. I, I fall asleep on the same side and then roll over. Are you anybody with me on your pillow is a thing? Anybody, does anybody have a wife who is irritated like mine when I put my arm under her pillow when I sleep on my side? She's like, ah, great, speed bump under my head. Love that, right? I, the pillow is is a, is a sim to me. There's nothing one more wonderful than a pillow, right? But but Jacob took a pillow and made it a pillar. Come on, that's just a picture. Come on, let's get out of our comfort zones. God has a plan for us, but it's gonna take us taking some pillows and turning them into pillars. I'm willing to step out in faith, get out of myself, bring that person to church, tell that person about Jesus, sign up for a team, get on a group, ask for prayer. I'm willing in this new year to turn that pillow over and pour some oil on it. For the homies. Come on, I want to see God use my life. Now you say, Levi, we're almost done. We're almost done. If you're not standing, you could jump up on your feet. We're almost done. You say to me, Levi, this this guy's a mess though. He lied. He he stole. He cheated. How can God just overlook any of this? How how is it? Oh, it's just not, oh, God's with you and that's great. What about Esau? Hey, listen, there's a time in his story, just like in yours, for building bridges, and mending fences. And a part of God's plan for Jacob will be giving him the strength and the, the grace to face the things that are behind him. It'll be some 20 years. So I'm not saying he was in a hurry to do it. But he eventually is willing to face Esau and to ask forgiveness and do what he can to, to, make, to fix that relationship. And I say do what you can, because there's no guarantees. You may have hurt people to an extent that it, it could take decades for that trust to be rebuilt. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be just over or easy in an instant, but here's, here's, here's what I wanted to end with. This is all possible only because of Jesus. This that happened to Jacob's life, this that could happen in your life, this that is happening in your life is only possible because of Jesus. And that's all through this text. You, you say, where? Well, I would say John 1. Jesus said, me. This is about me. Jacob and the angels and the ladder was about me. Let me just paraphrase it. John 1, jot it down. If you can get to your notes while standing. Jesus came assembling his team. And one of the guys that he got was a guy named Philip. And Philip wanted to follow Jesus, but he realized, I need to go get my friend Nathaniel. He needs to know Jesus too. This is what would happen. He got Andrew just a couple verses ahead. And Andrew said, I want to follow Jesus, but I got to get my friend, my brother, Peter. So he went and got Peter because he wasn't just gonna follow Jesus alone. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to follow Jesus alone? Who in your life do you need to go get so they can follow Jesus too? So Andrew got Peter, but Philip goes, I need to get Nathaniel." So he went and get Nathaniel and says, hey, I met Jesus, he's the savior of the world. He goes, Where, who is he? Where's he from? He goes, he's from Nazareth. And and, and Nathaniel goes, wah, wah. can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like scoffing, no faith, right? That's what he says along the way to meet Jesus. And as they're approaching, he's mocking Jesus' hometown, okay? And Jesus sees him coming, this is a great story, and goes, whoa, Nathanael, I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Here, you're a great guy, guy who there's no shady business, no cunning, no Jacob business in you at all. And he goes, you know me? You know me? You know, he's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm always with you. I was with you under the fig tree. I saw what you did on the fig tree. Now, listen, we don't have any idea what Nathanael did under a fig tree. The Bible never tells us anything about it. Use your imagination. <laughs> but whatever it was, it was either so bad or so personal, we don't know who he was with, what he was thinking about under that fig tree, all right? Just we'll leave that alone because we all got our fig tree. Then he goes, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, you are the God. You are the king. I'll f- whoa, well, you know you know about the fig tree? Okay, okay, yes, well, I'll follow you. Jesus goes, you're impressed because I said I saw you under the fig tree? And then look what he says, I think it's in verse 47. He says in verse 47, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree, you'll see greater things than that. Like what, Nathaniel wonders? Notice the next verse. I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I was the ladder in Jacob's vision. I was the way for people to get to heaven. In other words, how is it possible for Jacob to be told, I'm with you and I love you and I'll forgive you and I got plans for you, when his sin would be holding his him back? I'll tell you what, Jesus answers it for us. He says, here's how he's gonna get to heaven, over my dead body. That's how you get to heaven that's how you get to wholeness that's how you have a relationship with God and that's what God has called us to be sent into the